If you would turn in your copy of the scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the gospel, no, not the gospel, it's not a gospel, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where I'm going to be preaching from today. And this is, as Will said, Baptism Sunday, and we're very excited uh, about what we have to celebrate today. And throughout the scripture, God is kind enough to use pictures to help us understand and remember deep biblical truths. We see this done in Jesus' ministry uh, by the use of parables. Jesus tells a story to illustrate an important point. You may forget a theological treatise regarding compassion, but you won't soon forget the parable of the Good Samaritan. When I forget how God uh, thinks and feels about me as a wayward sinner, I can remember the, par- the parable of the prodigal son, how the father ran towards the son, how he gave him a ring and a robe of honor, how he threw a party for the son that came home seeking forgiveness. Stories are powerful. They always have been. Pictures are powerful. And today is a special service for us as we celebrate baptism, an ordinance modeled for us by Christ himself and given to us that we might remember who we are, who he is, what he's done, and why that's great and worth celebrating. Acts chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. If you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the word of God and follow along silently as I read from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to the end of the chapter. This is what the word of God says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus as he passed through. He Preach the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here's what I've experienced over the years. That if you take 10 people and you put them in a room and you ask them to explain baptism, it's not uncommon for you to get about a baker's dozen worth of answers. 
Usually they will lean towards one ditch or another. One ditch of being baptism is everything. It's all about baptism. Baptism is what saves. Baptism is necessary for salvation. There's those people who are in that ditch, and that's not true, which we'll talk about in a minute. But then there's another ditch, which is like, not baptism is everything, but baptism is nothing. It really doesn't matter if you're baptized because we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works, so then it doesn't matter at all. And what we're looking to do is to keep it between the ditches. We want to find the biblical middle of what baptism is. And so what I've decided to do is do a really quick eight-point sermon um, because we have to keep the sermon short, and so for some reason, eight points made sense to me as I prepared. We'll hope, we'll see if that works out well. But anyway, I want to do this for a couple of reasons. First, I'm hoping we might better understand baptism as spectators. The vast majority of us in the service today are going to be spectators of people being baptized. We have three people being baptized in this service and six in the next. And so the vast majority of us, if you're not a member of those nine people, you are spectators. You're watching baptism. You're celebrating baptism. And although we're not being baptized ourselves, I hope we can better understand or be reminded of what it really represents and better celebrate it with others. But secondly, there's another thing that's on my mind. You may be one who hasn't been baptized, but should be. I hope by having a better understanding of the importance behind baptism, what it means, what it depicts, God might cause some among us to move from uh, unawareness, ignorance, or even disobedience when it comes to baptism to awareness and obedience in this important area of our walks with Christ. Really quick, eight points. Here we go. Point number one, baptism does not save us from our sins. It's an important thing for us to understand, especially in an area which has a lot of different views on baptism in the northern Kentucky and greater Cincinnati area due to Disciples of Christ, Church of God, Church of Christ, Roman Catholicism. There's lots of different views on baptism. And so right from the get-go, you need to understand that baptism does not save us from our sins, that those being baptized today, should they not make it to baptism for some reason, or should the Lord come back before we get to baptize them, it's really not a big deal. It's fine. Because baptism doesn't save us from our sins. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and following says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of what? What does it say? Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Baptism is a work. It is not salvific. Titus 3 and verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's why in the passage we just read in Acts chapter 8, Philip chooses to tell the Ethiopian about Jesus. We see that in Acts 8 and verse 35. And told him the good news about Jesus and makes zero mention of baptism. It's not on his mind. That's why Philip Philip explains to him what he's reading in Isaiah instead of saying, forget about that, let's talk about baptism. We can talk about Isaiah later, but the real thing we need to talk about is baptism. That's not what he does. Baptism doesn't save. That's why when Paul lays out the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he speaks of Christ's death, Christ's burial and resurrection, and moves on. He makes no mention of baptism whatsoever. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Now, is that because baptism isn't important? Not at all. It's because it's not of first importance because the gospel 
is of first importance. The good news of Jesus Christ, who was born, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for sinners like you and like me, and was raised on the third day. Only Jesus saves. Point number one, baptism doesn't save. Point number two, baptism does symbolize our salvation. And for that, I want to ask you to flip over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. See, baptism is a sign pointing to something greater than itself. It in and of itself is not necessarily special if it wasn't pointing to Christ, if it wasn't pointing to the good news that it depicts of a sinner being saved by grace through faith. Take a look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When someone is immersed in baptism, so much is illustrated. First is the obvious. They go from being dry to being wet. The person comes out of the water looking much different than before they'd entered. This reminds us of the difference Christ makes in our lives when we're saved and we give our lives to him. The old is put away, the new has come. It's a complete transformation going from a life that is lived unto sin and death to a life that is lived unto Christ and life. And it's not just a little change, it's a massive change. We're talking caterpillar to butterfly. It's a big change. But in Romans 6, we see another picture. If you look at verses 3 and 4, that speaks of the burial and the resurrection of Christ. As someone is baptized, it's a reminder and a picture for us all of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This whole illustration that I believe God has intended based on his word is lost for those who believe that baptism cannot be done by immersion but done by sprinkling. Now, first of all, the primary use of the Greek word for baptism actually means to dip or to plunge or to immerse. It's not a biblical word. It's not a Christian word. You would say in the Greek, like, oh, those dishes need soap, so go baptize them. We wouldn't say the word baptize, but go submerge them. Go let them soak. And it kind of gets you out of doing the dishes. No, I'm letting them soak, really. They just need to really soak. But the primary use of that word in the Greek, it's not a spiritual, churchy, Pauline word that he coined. It literally means to dip. And so those who baptize by sprinkling are saying that they're immersing by sprinkling. If that doesn't make sense to you, that's because it doesn't make sense. And that's not me being like mean to Presbyterians or anything, like love you, we're in the family of God, everybody's got weird cousins, it's fine. But what I'm saying is that's not what we see in the Bible when it comes to baptism. It's not just potato, potato. There's a whole illustration and a whole picture that the Lord, I believe, has ordained for us through baptism by immersion. Acts chapter 8, verse 38 says this, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went, what? Down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Evidenced by the fact that Philip baptized him in the water, that they both went in the water, that they both came up out of the water, they wouldn't enter the water just to be sprinkled, even as people who believe in sprinkling baptism nowadays don't enter water. They just sprinkle 
And so baptism doesn't save, but it does symbolize our salvation. Point number three, baptism is not necessary for salvation. There are some who won't, who, who won't say that baptism itself saves, but that it's necessary for salvation. I know that's weird, but I've come across that many, many times. Most churches called the churches of Christ or disciples of God or Christian churches or church of God hold to this belief. They won't outright say that baptism saves. Like Roman Catholics believe that baptism removes the original sin with which we are born. They won't say that, but they'll say that it's an essential part of the salvation process. They'll keep their baptistry filled at all times, even run it with a pool filter at all times, so that at any time, I'm not kidding, at any time, day or night, if someone professes Christ, they can be baptized immediately. Why? Because they believe baptism is an essential part of salvation. The thief on the cross serves as the ultimate mythbuster here since he professes faith in Christ and Jesus gives him the assurance of the fact that he is saved. So it's in your outline, Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and following. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But first let's hop down so I can baptize you, then we'll get back on this cross. That's not what he says. The thief professes faith in Jesus And he says, truly today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I'm not poking fun. This is not the sermon where I poke fun at every other church. That's not the case. The reason I'm bringing this up is because this is called baptismal generation, baptismal regeneration, and you need to know that it's not just a difference of opinion, it's heresy. It's heresy, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. The belief that baptism saves or that baptism is essential for salvation or that any work that we do is essential for salvation is called heterodoxy. It's heretical because it nullifies what was accomplished at Calvary. It causes Jesus' death to be almost enough, like so close. But you should be wary of any church or any person who believes that baptism in and of itself is salvific or that it is essential for salvation. It's a false teaching and it brings people, it br- and it brings people and their actions into the center of their salvation and not Christ and Christ alone. And so the minute you change the words to the song, Jesus paid it most, that means he didn't pay it, pay it all. The minute you say that Jesus did just about everything that you need for salvation, that still makes it hinge upon you. It still has Jesus sitting in heaven like on his hands. Oh, I so wish that so-and-so could be saved if only they would be baptized. Oh, darn, they weren't. And that puts us in the place of God. And so I'm bringing this to your attention so that you understand, even though baptism doesn't save, it's important to have a biblical view of baptism and to not just look around at other churches and just say, well, we differ a little bit. There's a differ a little bit that's kind of like we don't agree, and then there's a differ a little bit of that actually jacks up what Jesus did on the cross. And so we need to be careful about that. Point number four, even though baptism doesn't save, even though it's not necessary for salvation, you need to know that baptism is normative in the New Testament. Baptism is beyond a doubt the norm for the New Testament Christian. In other words, it was normative for Christians to be saved and be baptized, for one to profess faith in Christ and to fairly soon afterwards be baptized. If you look at Acts chapter 8 in the uh, section of Scripture I read earlier, it says this in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Like, I'm ready. I'm in. I believe. Let's do this. Uh, Later on in Acts chapter 9 and verse 18, talking about the conversion of Saul, 
And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Baptism is special, but it's not just for special Christians. This is not a step that just the Green Beret Christians do. These are the serious Christians. Baptism isn't, isn't just for a certain group of Christians. It's not just for the serious Christians or the devout Christians or the extra holy Christian or anything like that. You need to know this, that if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and trust in him for salvation and you've not been baptized, that's not normal. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying that's actually not the normative pattern that you see throughout the New Testament. Baptism isn't necessary for salvation, but it is most definitely normative for a Christian to be baptized and to publicly profess their faith in doing so. Point number five, baptism is not for babies. There are no biblical examples of anyone being baptized apart from belief in Christ, not even babies. You say, where's your biblical evidence? I just said there's no biblical example of babies being, being baptized or anybody being baptized apart from faith and salvation. So the burden of proof is on the baby baptizers, not on those of us who say there's not. Moving on to point number six. Point number six, baptism is for believers, just like you and me. Acts 8 and verse 12 says this, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When they believed, they were baptized. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And so baptism is something that follows belief as people say, no, I'm really all in. I'm really putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and I want people to know that. Point number seven, baptism makes us more like Jesus since he was baptized. Matthew 3 and verse 16, uh, it says, and when Jesus was baptized. We become more like Christ because we're doing something that he did. We have one more area of our life that we've brought into line with Jesus Christ in alignment with how he lived his life. And finally, point number eight, baptism grows us in our obedience to Jesus because one of Jesus's last words in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus, his last words, people's last words usually are really important. We remember, we lean in, we listen, we care. And one of Jesus' last words that he said to his disciples was, go, make disciples, and baptize them. Because this depicts what Jesus Christ is going to do for sinners this, or what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. This reminds us because we're fickle, finite people and we easily forget. Even as we sang today, prone to what? Prone to remember? No, prone to what? Wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's a reminder for us through these ordinances of what Jesus Christ did for sinners like you and like me. And I think it's an important thing to remember that we're doing something not only that we were commanded to do, but also doing something that Jesus himself did. If you think about it, the fact that Jesus was baptized is probably the ultimate proof that baptism doesn't remove sins, right? Because Jesus himself was not a sinner, and therefore he wouldn't be baptized. So if that was the purpose of baptism, Jesus wouldn't have partake, participated in it. And so Jesus being baptized sets an example for us 
Because Jesus is doing something, as he says, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus basically was saying, I believe in me. I believe in what I'm going to do. I believe in my mission. I believe in the fact that I'm going to die on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And I'm going to fully pay the wrath of God that was headed towards sinners like you and like me. And I believe I'm going to be buried and I believe I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. And that's what people who are being baptized believe, just like Jesus believed. Jesus believed in himself, and people believing in Jesus are baptized. What about you? Maybe because baptism doesn't do anything for the believer, you haven't taken it seriously enough to do it. And if you're a Christian, I hope you'll reconsider being baptized the next time We do so as we'd love to celebrate Christ having saved you and for you to take an important step in obedience to to your Savior and his word. But maybe you're sitting here and you're not really understanding what even is going on. And you're like, I visited this church and they sing, they raise their hands, there's a hot tub up front. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. This is kind of weird. Maybe that's because you're unfamiliar with baptism or Christianity all together. And honestly, if that's you, you've really come to the right place on the right day. You see, we believe that our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. And that as a result of their sin, although they were created perfectly and were not sinners by nature, they became sinners by choice. And therefore, Adam, who didn't just represent himself but represented all of mankind, His sin has been transferred to each and every one of us, and we are therefore sinners by nature and therefore sinners by choice. And therefore, each and every one of us cannot have a relationship with God, whether we would like one or not. We can't get rid of that sinful nature. Our good can never outweigh our bad. Or if you're a baseball fan, you know all it takes is one time that you don't make it on base, and you'll never bat a thousand again for that season. And so it's God is holy and perfect and righteous and demands perfect holiness, perfect obedience, none of which we are capable of ever doing, ever. And so instead of just leaving us hell-bound and hell-deserving like we are, God sent his son into this world through the womb of a virgin who lived a perfect life and who would die on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And because Jesus' father was not a human father but was a heavenly father, he did not have that sinful nature. And because Jesus did not have that sinful nature, even though he was tempted in all ways like we are, he never sinned. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he really could be a perfect, holy, wrath-absorbing sacrifice for sinners like you and like me. And so it's not that God chose to overlook the sins of the people that you're seeing baptized today. Not at all. God never overlooked them. He already paid for them. Jesus paid for their sins. It's not that God just doesn't collect. Believe you me, God will collect. He is owed death for every sinner. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every single one of us will pay our sin debt, either through Jesus Christ's death on the cross or through our eternal death in hell. But God will collect. But the good news is God sent his son to die on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And that as he hung on that cross, he absorbed the wrath 
that was headed for a sinner like me, that was headed for a sinner like you. He absorbed that which is the equivalent of an eternity in hell. And God, for the first time, was not Jesus' loving father, but was his judge on my behalf. He was absorbing the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve. And he poured out his wrath upon Jesus. And God was satisfied because he did take out his wrath upon Jesus as a substitute for my sin. And Jesus died. And Jesus was buried. And he was buried for three days. But on the third day, he walked out of the grave. He rose from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples and up to 500 people at once. And he lived on the earth for another 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. Someone say amen. amen. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And if you have never heard or understood the gospel before, the best news that we could ever share with you, it's my hope and prayer that you would believe on Jesus Christ for salvation today. That you would believe that he died on the cross for a sinner like you. That you would believe that God the Father was truly satisfied, 100% satisfied in what Jesus paid on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And that you might receive new life. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You say today like October 31st? It says No, it doesn't say that. But today while you have breath... While you are alive, while death has not closed your eyes, today is the day of salvation. You have a chance. You have an opportunity to believe. You have an opportunity to look to Christ for salvation and say, I really believe you are who you say you are. I really believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And so I'm going to pray for God's word as it went forth. I'm going to pray for our time uh, celebrating baptism, and then we're going to celebrate uh, the baptisms of Ashley Rogers, Alex Stockman, and Jonathan LaRuffa. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful for the gospel that is the good news of salvation for all who would believe. And we pray, Lord, that today you would be pleased to save souls. That as we celebrate those who have been saved, Lord, would you cause your word to go forth in a mighty way today to call even more men and women to yourself for your glory, that they might be saved, that they might receive life and have it abundantly, that they would be born again and would put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. We pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified as people speak of what you have done in their lives, Lord, that it would point and give all the glory to you for all you've done in saving people and that as a result of our time here today, we might celebrate what you have done and leave here with an even bigger picture and a greater impression and a greater love for you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.